Hello everyone, welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast on the Youth Critic Network. Before Miami. I just wanted to escape my life. I need you. Do you like bartending? It's not really what I do. What is it that you really do? But then you came along and gave me this unexpected magical moment. That made me remember who I really was. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Youth Critic Podcast. I am your host, Kel Smith. Joining me this week is Marley from Marley Loves Films. Hey. Uh, Thanks for having me, Kel. And no problem. And Marley, so what movie are we going to be talking about this week? We are going to be talking about the Steven Soderbergh classic, Magic Mike. <laughs> yes, we are. So, yes, we are talking about Magic Mike, um, as well as uh, Magic Mike XXL. And have you seen? So, wait, have you seen The Last Dance? Just making sure. I, I've seen The Last Dance. Uh, I will preface and say that I have not seen the xxl i have not seen the the sequel to magic mike okay just we'll just we'll briefly touch it yeah we'll we'll briefly touch it but i will i just want to come out and say that that film was not directed by steven soderbergh and as kind of i've kind of made it publicly on twitter that i'm a pretty big uh like steven soderbergh fan i really like uh kimmy from last year and I just like the way he directs, and I also like the way he he basically came out and said, "I'm retiring from film," and then made a, a film every single year since saying that. So, <laughs> basically, yeah, <laughs> basically. I mean, even the Nick is like, you know, you can see that is his like, I'm just doing a movie now, just in, mm-hmm. t- in TV format. So, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and to be fair to Magic My XXL, it is. Uh, shot and edited and produced mm-hmm. by Zetterberg. And even the director of the movie is his longtime producer and first assistant director. So mm-hmm. it, I, uh, me and uh, the other, um, me and another uh, guest host on here, um, Alfie Amaya, we've been talking about basically how he, he just kind of ghost directed that movie. He just didn't want to take the credit of directing the sequel because he was still technically in retirement, as mm-hmm. I do your quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, he's, so, yeah, I mean, but, you know, no, he's, he's been, so, yeah, he's had a hand in the trilogy, but you're right, uh, Gregory Jacobs did direct the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so we are talking about the Magic Mike trilogy uh, for this episode, and, uh, and I think this is more, and I'm deeply surprised by the Magic Mike trilogy because, uh, just I'm just gonna lay it out there. 
the movies are very, very much promoted as like these really sexy, very erotic, very uh, over the they're the over the top movies. And for me, Magic Mike is kind of like a secret recession movie. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Magic Mike XXL is a like a like it's a it's basically a Richard Linklater movie, mm-hmm. but for strippers. Yeah. Um, well- what what I enjoyed most about the first Magic Mike and what kind of like it really started my love for Steven Soderbergh just because he's really a big fan of just character studies and that's all what that first Magic Mike movie was and watching the first Magic Mike like in theaters with a packed crowd I will say packed crowd full of just not not trying <laughs> to judge these people at all but just forty year old soccer moms that are just out like out in the town like trying to just they're just trying to get they're trying to be pleased they're trying to be pleased and you can't really fault anyone for that but having them sit through the first magic mic and realize it wasn't the film it was like they were planning it wasn't like a 50 shades of gray it turned out to be like an actual film sitting in that theater was like i was just having the time of my life because i was like because i knew what to, what to expect with steven but that those ladies were not did not know. <laughs> I, I I do have a question though, since you actually saw this in the theater, and I only saw Magic Mike on HBO like a couple years later. Mm-hmm. Was the um did the as the movie went along, did they still were they still like cheering or were they still was there was or did the mood kind of die by the end of the movie? I would say it would be like fifty fifty. There was like. A few people that were cheering at the beginning, and then, uh, then it kind of died out. I had a few people like get up and leave. They're like, "Oh, this movie sucks," and I'm like, uh, "It doesn't. It's, not, it's just didn't live up to your expectations." I mean, if you wanted to watch, uh, I, I guess male porn, this was not the movie for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, no, I, no, and that was a surprise of the first magic mic is like and i kind of figured it was going to be more you know nuanced and more intelligent i just didn't see it when it came out of theaters there was summer 2012 was a huge year uh i mean you had a lot of movies coming out around that time so i it just was the one movie that missed me and then i watched it a couple years thinking that i would have time to watch magic mike xxl in theaters and uh, I watched it on HBO, and I was actually genuinely surprised, like how I mean, layered it was, and how nuanced it was. Because most people thought of Channing Tatum during that time as kind of like you know, a B star, you know, just someone handsome and good looking, who could who smolders and can you know carry the action movie, carry the you know the bullshit uh, Nicholas Sparks movie, mm-hmm. but. His like twenty twelve year of twenty twelve, which started with Zoderberg's Haywire, and then it went to twenty two or twenty one Drum Street, excuse me, and where he really got to show like more of his comedy chops. <laughs> uh, and then he like kind of concludes that year with Magic Mike. Uh, I mean, he really gives like a performance in this movie in Magic yeah. Mike. And, and also, I'm not sure if you're, I'm not sure if your listeners know, but Channing Tatum did actually start out as like a go-go dancer, and so he 
That's right. I, I remember like the interviews leading up to Magic Mike. He basically said that this was he was born to play this role. It was like it was almost like uh, it was almost like a bio, like a like a bio, biopic or biopic. How do you say it? I've, there's like three biopic. Different... Okay. Um, there's a bio. It's basically a biopic for Channing Tatum, which I think is really cool. <laughs> well, and. And I and I might be wrong in this, but I think him and Reed Carolyn kind of conceived the story together, and then he wrote the script. Mm-hmm. And while they were making Haywire, because uh, Soderbergh was at this point when he made Magic Mike was in this like rut of where I'm like I'm just gonna make every script I see, like every I'm just gonna make a whole bunch of movies. If my friends have a script that that's not getting made, I'm just gonna make it because I'm the guy who's like saying. You know, hire me. I'm on my way out. You know, you can use my, you know, name as a way to get your movie as a way to like promote the movie is because it's going to be the last of the movies I make. Mm-hmm. So as I do air quotes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, so I, I'm assuming like while he was making Haywire, he Channing, Jenny or Channing Tatum just showed him the script. And because they try to get it going for a while, and then Soderbergh was like, "Okay, I guess this is going to be my next movie." Mm-hmm. So, so he <laughs> like gets this movie. It costs like he gets seven million dollars from Warner Brothers, and which is dirt cheap, dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and they shoot it over like October and November of 2011, and they finish it in March or April of 2012, just enough time for him to go right into uh, side effects, which mm-hmm. came out like a few months later with Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he, yeah, Channing Tatum kind of became his like boy for a while. Yeah, I, which I think is. It, I don't know. Every director has kind of like the, that one actor that they're kind of drawn to. And I feel like after seeing Magic Mike's uh, Last Dance, I, I, I haven't really seen very many reviews like people because I'm not sure if people are dumping on this all that much, but it kind of seems like like Last Dance. Uh, mind you, I have not seen XXL, but I like the kind of like the companion piece that this film kind of like ties in with like the first Magic Mike. How I said like the first Magic Mike was a character study about go-go dancers, about who they actually are as as people and like what they actually go through to uh, like entertain like these women like on a daily basis. And Magic Mike Last Dance is is like a is is a it's basically kind of like the the journey of going through that and kind of like and and how like something how a performance like these go-go dancers are, are doing have like an effect on like this one person Selma Hayek which I, I I think that Selma Hayek is like the star of the show in Last Dance uh, but w- w- what do you think? <clears throat> oh I I totally agree but I would also say Magic Mike XXL is also like a nice like middle chapter of that because mm-hmm. uh, it's not only about like what because if Magic Mike's a movie about like what like go-go dancers like Mike Mike you know, has to go through, Mike Lane has to go through to, uh, to maintain like their body, maintain their physique, but also like maintain the, but also maintain a sane head in the midst of, you know, of a crazy industry that's capitalizing on their body. Mm -hmm. Um, Magic Mike XXL is about 
how there is artistry and how there is like how there's art within that dancing. It's very mm-hmm. much about, and it's also you know the camaraderie of you know of men, you know, and like how healthy it is for men to bond and talk about you know you know issues in their own you know lives, especially once you get in your mid thirties. Uh, so it's very so it's very very much like a, it's very much a contrast because magic because Mike and XXL he basically comes back into the fold of of go-go dancing because it's something that he's itching to do. Mm-hmm. Like he's very much like he very much, it's an itch he has to scratch and he has to do it one more time as a way to kind of feel um, adequate or complete. So, and yeah. What, what you just said there kind of confirms like my theory that I've been thinking on ever since walking out of last dance is that, I know Steven Soderbergh, well, I don't know about his personal life. He could have been a go-go dancer in a past life. But <laughs> but I like the I like the parallels between being a go-go dancer and being a filmmaker. And, and like how I said like at the start at the start of the show, we uh like Soderbergh said he retired like 10 years ago and he keeps making films and like making films scratches that itch. Same like with people who are go-go dancers that scratches that itch, which I, I think that's why Steve, like I know he didn't direct uh, the second one, but that's why Soderbergh has to be a part of it because it's like he has to be making films at least in least in at least some manner, uh, whether that's shooting, directing, producing. It's just like this is this is what he likes to do. He likes to entertain. Right. I mean, it's the same thing that happened on the Oceans trilogy where. Uh... They make Ocean's Eleven. It's a big heist. It's you know, it's about filmmaking. Of course, it's the heist is about filmmaking, about how you pull off you know this incredible feat. And then the second one, uh, Ocean's Twelve, is a basically about well, how do you how do you do a sequel when you didn't really plan on it? How do you do a sequel? How do you do the second? How do you do a second heist when you're basically told that you have to make the second heist? That's what mm-hmm. Ocean's Twelve is about. And then Ocean's Thirteen is about is them trying to like course correct it's about it's it they're all like the ocean sequels are all like meta narratives of what is zodaberg is happening of what's happening to zodaberg at this moment so mm-hmm. it's interesting that you you just put that in perspective for me cuz uh mike in the first movie is trying to get out like he's trying desperately to change his you know status quo he's trying to not be you know a go-go dancer anymore you know he feels like you know he's grown out of it he wants to do this like furniture making business (laughs) so uh so he's gonna try and do but he can't do it because the recession you know and because he's in we're in a they're in a recession at that time of the of the movie you know no one's gonna just give him a loan uh for no even though he has the money he has you know the a pitch perfect uh business plan so and then he does we see him actually get out of it and and be out of it in magic mike xxl when we see him but once he's kind of introduced back into the fold of like being drawn back uh much like how channing tatum is also uh, well let me finish my thought much like (laughs) he you know he's kind of being drawn back into the fold because you know, he can't resist the temptation. He can't resist, like, his life is going whatever. You know, it's 
as a furniture salesman because it's not a strong business. Um, so he has to go back into the fold. And that's what's so interesting. And also, these movies kind of parallel Channing Tatum's journey because mm-hmm. he is trying to break out of his, like, good-looking model. I'm, a you know, a nice, smoldering, good-looking bull- good-looking guy. And I want to be a serious actor. He's trying to break out of that through and and go through this journey of Magic Mike. He's kind of meta narrative, like meta narratively, you know, going through this mm-hmm. as well. And then, of course, uh, he goes through the experience, and he's actually a good act. We find out, you know, he's actually a good actor, the Channing Tatum, and he's having good success. But he has to go back into the fold of Magic Mike because. Um, it's his most successful movie. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. That's, I, 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 yeah, I, I totally agree that, that Channing Tatum has like, it's like kind of like, uh, the perfect like film for Channing Tatum and Soderbergh, like, like you, like you just, uh, explained and yeah, uh, it, it like, I will have to, I, I would like to ask kind of like both of us, like, is magic mike i haven't seen the sequel i'll have to to report back like on this later but is magic mike the perfect trilogy in that in that sense i don't know if it's perfect because there's things in the third movie there's a couple elements in the third movie that kind of almost derail it Mm -hmm. but i mean in terms of like the arc that mike lane has throughout each of the movies in terms of like what it means to in the meta narrative and like what it means to be an artist to try and pull off you know these incredible dances these mm-hmm. incredible you know because they really are incredible it's not just you know bullshit stripper dancing it's actually kind of incredible mm-hmm. um like the journey he goes on uh for on his own personal journey there is a completion to it in magic mike last dance there is like a an adequate satisfying ending to it so in terms of a trilogy i don't know if it's perfect but it's actually a pretty good trilogy like it's Mm -hmm. a really good like it's a really it's really strong it's really up there that's what i'll say yeah Um, it it, i i I think it's it's pretty it's just pretty strong trilogy as well i i i think it's uh i can kind of hear myself like in the back Sorry. Oh. Oh, it, it, it's sorry about that. I'll, You're good. I'll just start. I'll start over that thought. Um. I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's my mic. It might be. I don't know. Um. <laughs> You're good. Go. Just go ahead. Okay. Um. But yeah, I I think it's a perfect trilogy. Just just because of how every. Sorry, I just lost my thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a perfect trilogy. So it's, I, or no, 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 no. I just contradicted myself. Okay. Uh, no, it's a near perfect trilogy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a near perfect trilogy. Um, because it does like give Mike Lane a journey, and even more so, like the end of the first movie puts him on a more interesting journey. Because now that he's left, at the end of Magic Mike, uh, he's left the stripper business. He's, you know, left it while Dallas is having his, like, 
I don't know what, what how to describe it. He's like having his like hurrah moment. Like he's having mm-hmm. his like final moment with all these women in Tampa, and he's like just enjoying you know the brush of it. But even that is like there's such such a sadness to that scene because it's Matthew McConaughey who's not old. He's not old in this movie, but he's definitely like the old statesman. Mm-hmm. And to see this guy who is in his 40s or late 30s, early 40s, just still like, you know, bathing in the, you know, this much needed love from women, even though he's kind of a capitalistic asshole. Uh, Like, there's just such a sadness to it. Like, there's such an emptiness that is given to Dallas at the end of that movie. Like, it's... And even so much... I yeah. wouldn't say he, like, he understands like what capitalism is Matthew McConaughey's character, but he also like, like you said, he's like, he's, he's older. He's been through it before. He knows like what, like these women want and kind of like, w- like what he needs to do to succeed. And like that, I, it's not really like, I wouldn't really say that's a capitalistic asshole. It's just kind of like, living in like trying to survive in the system that like is given given to us like he's not i I wouldn't say he's like he he, like he embraces capitalism he just kind of accepts it because like the world we live in is hell and it's like he like we live live instead of like trying to like change like the system he's just kind of like adapting with it okay that's that make sense and then and even worse, the kid is played by Alex Pettifer, who I think gives his best performance, like mm-hmm. ever in his career in this movie. Yeah, uh, it, it's weird because I, I like how you mentioned Alex Pettifer, just because he hasn't really been anything after Magic Mike. I think he was in I Am Number Four, that really terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't yes. even want to talk about it. But it's, it's not. It's not good. It's not good, and well, the thing was like he for the longest time he was like the one guy that everyone wanted for Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. uh, and when it went, and when it went to like Charlie Hunnam, and then to of course to to Jamie Dornan later on, it kind of like dampered his career because everyone thought like it was a no brainer they're gonna hire this Alex Pettifer guy, uh, and uh. And then after that um, Endless Love movie, he kind of just, I I don't want to say like disappeared, but he kind of just like went back to smaller movies that no one saw. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, So, but I mean, he really does give a good performance here, even if it's very naturalistic. Like he, like it's a very, it's a very naturalistic performance from him. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the the one way you can get the, like, those natural performances and reason why I love Steven Soderbergh so much is that he wants to shoot it all in camera. And like I feel like a, 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 you wouldn't get like a lot of these authentic reactions like with the like, the customers or even like the go-go dancers themselves if you like there's any visual effects or special effects like like being involved in any in any sort of way and I like that just every all of the camera movements it's all in camera he's not like doing like any like trickery it's like it's very natural and authentic and it's 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 like 
like the cinematography in the Magic Mike movies are like absolutely insane. Even like even in the third one, like the third one, like I was literally like, at like I felt like like I felt like the older ladies like sitting behind me like like going oh and they're just smiling and clapping and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and also he's a guy that does it in two or three takes, so <laughs> he literally so his directing style is literally dependent on reaction shots, like <laughs> gut reaction shots. And also, I mean, even like the little scene in Magic Mike where Pettifier is like talking to his sister and he ultimately turns in, like he ultimately does like a Arnold Schwarzenegger accent in the middle of the scene. <laughs> it feels so like natural and improvish because like it's just something that would just like, you know, that character would do to get, you know, her, his sister to laugh or to get her to smile. <laughs> so, and it works in the story and the performance because now you kind of see that this kid also really wants to like please other people. And mm -hmm. so like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just love like that take. I love that he's naturalistic and he does kind of only just a handful of takes at a time. And also like his style is very, very grounded. Like he does very little, like he, he does have like coverage, but it's very much like, you know, it's very, you know, mounted to the floor like we're not gonna do like crazy crane shots crazy mm -hmm. like it's very much like we're placing the camera here we might pan up um mm -hmm. for a little we might like subtly pan up but i mean it's really very much like it, we are grounded we are with the we are the pov of the women themselves mm -hmm. watching this perform watching these performances yeah and i feel like what when you, when it's grounded like that, that's how like I can have the reaction in the theater. How I can have the same reaction to the the lady sitting behind me. I may be having a different reaction than like what they're thinking, but it's because it's because of like those choices. That's how he uh, he's able to like have everyone feel like feel like this emotion like at the same time. And if, if that's really the magic of cinema when it when it really comes down mm -hmm. to it, makes oh. like all having a collective like experience all at once and mm. oh yeah i mean in, in xxl it's almost the same way there mm -hmm. is a shot where it kind of feels like out of a like a film state like a film concert like a like a one of those 3d concert films where the camera you know glides in and glides closer and you know um so there is a shot like that but even that shot like it's meant to like build this awe and anticipation for what uh you're about to witness mm -hmm. so uh and then xxl he does a very similar style he kind of combines the best of the two styles from each movie where mm -hmm. it's much more elaborate it's much more theatrical but it makes sense because we're in a theatrical setting and it's technically a play so it's meant to feel more elaborate more musical like Mm -hmm. uh for magic mike xx for or, no for magic mike last dance excuse me um and uh and yeah i i i do love his style um so um is there anything else we need to say on the trilogy as a whole before we get to last dance um particularly although i did see on twitter before we started recording this someone tweeted out saying that like their that their dad saw the Rocky films and they saw Magic Mike and how they're basically the same. Like my dad loves Rocky and I love Magic Mike, which is like 
I, I feel like it's the perfect tweet. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's you know what that's awesome. That good for the, good for the yeah. It, but if oh. you think about it, they are Rocky and Magic Mike are pretty similar. If if like they're I... they're both kind of about aging stars, and, and at least in the later in the later movies, and they're both really about like one one guy kind of like going through like 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 a uh like a profession oh shit you're right because <laughs> magic mike is so your the eyes kid... sorry your eyes lit up like when i started <laughs> you're like oh my god whoa wait wh-. no i was also realizing oh my god so the kid is rocky and from the first movie but it's like a darker version of it because he starts doing drugs and becomes also like addicted to the lifestyle that he's now in. So mm-hmm. uh, it's like a darker version of Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Magic Mike XXL is like, you know, he's basically brought back to compete again or to, or <laughs> to any in Magic Mike XXL. He's competing to be the best stripper in the Southeast or whatever, whatever that was. So, uh, <laughs> and then Magic Mike's last dance, he's he, like he's coming back again, but also bringing up new talent, and 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 boosting. Oh my God! What? <laughs> Sorry. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! Channing Tatum and Reed. Everyone's a fan of the Rocky franchise. You were right, exactly. Um, now and they're also, gonna... <laughs> and also the the Rocky franchise is directed by Sylvester Stallone. A, a, a movie that's mirroring his career too. So is Steven Soderbergh Sylvester Stallone in this case? Uh, yeah, I guess. Or, <laughs> or Channing Tatum. You actually, you can. It's either or because mm-hmm. Channing Tatum is also like struggling. You know, in the post, like you know, post like not Gambit happening, mm-hmm. like because he wait because the problem with Channing Tatum, you know, going into Magic Mike uh, Last Dance is that, you know, he waited so long to do Gambit and did these small roles on Kingsman and The Hateful Eight that his career kind of tanked because that movie just never got around to happening. So he kind of had to revitalize himself again uh, with uh, his directorial debut, Dog, uh, which... Which I haven't seen. Oh my God, Marley, it's amazing. Okay, I'll have it, to. I'm adding it to my watch list right now. <laughs> it is so good. Like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not like best of the year, but it is like uh, a really good debut from both uh, Tatum and his uh, producing partner Reed Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and also a movie that very much reflects what's happening in Tatum's life because that character is also going through the divorce with a young daughter involved. Which is mm-hmm. exactly what happened to Tatum. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, he's sort of picking back up again. And he was in the Lost City of Z. He has a great little bit role in Bullet Train. Um, and I think that's it for now. But yeah, I mean, he's, and then of course, this movie. So mm-hmm. he's kind of having to go back into the fold with, you know, uh, a director, but having like a much more female perspective, uh, you know, kind of similar to what's happening to both Soderbergh and Tatum. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
So I mean, it just it's 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 there. Like it's very much there. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's. Uh, oh my uh, god. So should should we get? Uh, oh, to the should, movie. Yeah. Should we get into uh, Last Answer? Oh yes, let's do it. Last dance. <laughs> Last dance. Anyway. Last dance. <laughs> uh, great trailer, by the way. I know it only came out a couple months ago, but great trailer. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so movie, you know, we see Magic Mike, where we see Mike. He's in Miami, uh, and he's a bartender. And he ends up bartending for this, like, rich billionaire's fundraiser. Uh, bullshit fundraiser, whatever. And... Uh, he stumbles upon one of his old clients, uh, the college girl from the first movie. Which, and... by the way, this scene right here was so. It, it's, <laughs> I think we've all been there when we like meet up with like ex partners and they're with someone else and they're like, so hey, uh, <laughs> oh hey, do I know you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um. And, like, you also can't, like, really say, like, what happened, like, in the moment-to-moment, you know, relationship (laughs) you had. So, you're just kind of, like, implying. So, yeah. And, but this woman does, like, a good service to, you know, to Mike by basically being like, hey, I know this person, you know, this bartender outside, he's really good at, like, you know, dancing. He can keep your, he can really take your mind off things. Mm-hmm. So with a good recommendation from uh, an old client, Salma Hayek uh, introduces this person into her home. And what I love about the scene where they're negotiating and then they finally, you know, agree to 6,000, 6,000. And uh, what I love about it is he starts like moving stuff around the house, like just, mm-hmm. And it's so brilliant because you can just see like the mechanics of like, okay, this is where this, it's almost like um, a Rue Goldberg like scenario. Like you're waiting to see like what Tatum is going to, like why he's moving the flower pot over here, why he's, you know, you know, ripping or like checking the, you know, the steel beam. Mm-hmm. Cause he's he- already, yeah. Go ahead. He's set. He, he's set dressing, much like Steven Soderbergh does when he arrives on set. He's making sure everything's like, like in pristine order. Just, just uh, making sure everyone is comfortable, like in in that room, and just. It, I, I believe he says like later in the film, it's all about it's all about permission, like, like when you're getting ready to dance, what do you what, when you're getting ready to do anything? It's all about having permission and giving permission to do to do these things to these women and i i feel like this scene describes that perfectly absolutely and he starts it and it really is like incredible like it really is an incredible dance scene it it it, it really is but halfway through, like, like this scene goes on for a really long time. Like it's like, I, it's like I'm three just days like, long. Yeah, it's it's like three days long, and I'm just like sitting here in the theater. These, like I said, these ladies are like cracking up behind me. They're just having the time of their life. I don't think they've had that much action in uh, no, twenty no years. To them. But yeah, but 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 it's 
I, I I just want to know what Steven Spielberg Steven Soderbergh was going through when he was shooting this scene. Where it's I want to like, know what Steven Spielberg was thinking if he watched this. Is Soderbergh? You mean? Not Sp- no. no. Oh, Sp- well, you mentioned Spielberg, and then and then I was like, well, now I want to know what Steven Spielberg thinks of the Magic Mike franchise. He says this is cinema. It's cinema. cinema. He goes up to he goes up to Channing Tatum later and just like hugs him like, you saved cinema with Magic Mike last. <laughs> You save cinema, Steven Zoderberg. Much like Tom Cruise with flying 10,000 feet in the air. Yes. Channing Tatum is saving cinema with his sexy dance moves. He is. He is. God bless him. Yeah. Um, and, like, another thing I'd like to say about, like, this scene and, like, really the whole Magic Mike franchise is that what I also love about it, too, is that it, it paints women in, like, a lot of people would say that it wouldn't like uh, just show women like in the, the greatest light, but it I think it shows them in like the best light just because it proves that women can be pleased without actually like with you can cut this out if you want, but without like being no, I'm letting you see. I want to see where this goes without like sexual pleasure. I was trying. I think that's probably okay. like the best way. So it's like they can. Because uh, it's like there's no penetration or anything. It's just like, and like maybe like dry humping, obviously, because that's what they're that, that's what go go dancers like. Does that's what their job is. But you don't nothing really like there. It doesn't have to be like full completion to like for for women to actually like have like a good time. And I actually like that. It's like women can be in a safe space and like still and, and and still have a good time. You you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. No, it's it's the idea that, you know, women can have pleasure, have, you know, control of the situation mm-hmm. and still have an incredible I mean, yeah, have control yeah, have control of the, of course they won't want control of the situation. Um yeah. Okay, <laughs> um but no, what I mean is like they like, you know, like they feel more like, you know, they feel empowered and it does, you know, show women and like, you know, this idea that, you know, uh, one-on-one sex can be, you know, very much pleasurable, especially if both partners are consensual in it. Mm -hmm. Cause the movie does make a lot of points of like, you know, this has to be enjoyable for both the partners. You know, um, and the only and the one way you can assure it is if you ask for permission. It's because the women they have like this, not necessarily a you know power move, but it's very much like they feel in control. They feel like they can you know stop this at any if at any point they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, like they, they can always yeah. just leave too. They can always leave the establishment, like, right? And uh, uh, just because like. I I haven't been to like any like these establishments at all, but to Me my either. knowledge, like when people walk in, like they like that's them giving permission or them paying money. That's them giving permission to be pleased, and and like and and, and just like Channing Tatum said, it's got to be per- like there's got to be permission on both sides. But yeah, I, that I, that was kind of a long tangent, but I just wanted to appreciate like that women like can be pleased without like the full pleasure of like of of, of sex and i absolutely. think that's, i think that's wonderful to see so oh yeah absolutely and that's what kind of like the power of these movies are it's to show that it's not all 
it's not just eroticism. It's mm-hmm. it's also there's an artistry. There's you know stakes. There's I mean there's m- mechanics. There's there's more involved, and that's kind of like what I appreciate about the trilogy is that there is so much that we see you know behind the scenes through you know Soderbergh's you know point of view his lens um and through the performances we see more of like what's what they are what they emotionally go through mm-hmm. so with, yeah with that all being said like after that really long dance sequence we, we they the next <laughs> smash cut is Selma Hayek and Mike's character like in bed like they say that they didn't have sex <laughs> but I like I don't know. That there's a lot of like they reveal. There's a lot of, a of lot innuendo. In that, yeah, a lot of innuendos, and that they revealed a lot like that shot that made me kind of think like, oh, did they? But like, like they did reveal that they didn't have sex. Oh, okay. Because I thought they did, and they were in Hayek. In order for there to be like a, uh, like a professional relationship between him and Mike or her and Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were gonna pay. He was gonna. She was gonna pay him extra to uh to not fuck her. <laughs> yeah, that's like her kind of self control. Where it's just like I'm just gonna pay you extra so I don't feel as bad because I feel like there needs to be like uh, it, it like like I said it's like fifty fifty in like each like business transaction. So she feels like she's by not have but not getting fucked she feels like she's like kind of letting him down even though i don't think mike feels like that feels like she's letting him down it's like that's kind of like his job it's like like he's just kind of like i'm just here for the ride and stuff like that right and and also i think it's a good dynamic to have for him because now he doesn't have to worry about you know the sexual the sexual attraction of it getting in the you know in the middle of this whole project that they're trying to do together so by having the agreement that they're not going to fuck or have sex Mm -hmm. and then you know gives them kind of this freedom of to be professional partners um and to you know and to not not only have be professional partners but actually be able to like argue back and forth over choices of dancers and lighting and the sprinkler system or whatever. And like, they can have, like there's a ton, there's autonomy in not have, there's free autonomy that they both can oh, have okay. by not having sex. What? Which by the way, like this is, this is after like the whole dance sequence and some Hayek's character is basically like, she she loves the performance so much she she wants to take take him back to london with her and like have him and have him like uh, and have him like perform but she doesn't tell him this uh have him like uh do uh, put this play together and stuff like that be like the new director of like the theater that she owns but the problem that i have like this whole thing all this stuff leading up to it is like like Channing Tatum just kind of like accepts like all this and like Samahike doesn't even like bring any of this up and I like that Channing Mike's actually like mentions this like it's like it would I would have ni- it would have been nice to like actually like, bring this up so he wouldn't fly all the way to London for the, like this woman that he just met like overnight which 
I don't know. The, I found that a little invasive. Like, you, like, just let him know. He probably would say yes. Like, anyone would want to go to London. Like, why do you have to hide that? So I'm like... Yeah, and also, I mean, he is qualified to do this because he technically <laughs> did this anyway in Magic My XXL. He kind of was not the MC, but he basically, like, helped coordinate or choreograph all the new dance move scenes in or the dance moves uh for all the uh players mm-hmm. so he kind of took sort of the dallas road route um yeah. and and so it's so it's not a stretch for him and he probably would have said yes but it is one of those things where it is like very screenwriter-y where it's mm-hmm. like now we're in London, and here's the big surprise: you have a job, and you're gonna, you're gonna take this person's job away. Um, and yeah, but also feel for the guy that's probably been directing this play for years and years, and then he just gets let go because some lady had like a really cool experience, like from a like a hot guy, and I'm just like, damn. Just got. I, I worked all my life like trying to get to this point, and I got fired because some 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 lady like is horned up. No, I'm just kidding. Well, right, but I mean, <laughs> I think it's stated that like he did did she fire him or did he just go on like uh go on a month long vacation while me and my new uh toy or whatever me and boy my toy. New- yeah, me and my new choreographer uh, work out a new version that will only be a one-time show. Which, wow, really? Uh, why you're spending all this money for a one-time show? Wow, mm-hmm. the tickets must be outrageous for this thing. Right, or just like the privilege of just rich people in general. So I'm like, of course, yeah, only, <laughs> only rich people get to experience this, you know, <laughs> this incredible show. Right, only once. And I also think it's funny that it's London, too. I wonder if Steven Soderbergh really just wanted to go to London, too. It's like one of those vacation movies where, like, it's the last movie of the series. I, like, I've worked really hard, like, on this franchise. So let's go to London. Uh, Ch- Channing, do you want to go to London? He was like, yeah, let's go to London. <laughs> so <I'm> like... <laughs> and yeah, you're right. It is kind of like interesting. Like once we get to London, we find out she has a cheating husband, uh, mm-hmm. a daughter. She has, you know, she's rich. She has this business, and she and her and her husband's family owns this nice fancy theater called the Radigan. So we just kind of, you know, get to know a lot mm-hmm. about her, and also there's just you know more information about her. And more setup, and it's kind of interesting. Right. <laughs> just throw that in there. It's a little screenwriting tip. It's just like just throw cheating husband and uh, a woman that wants to recapture the most wonderful night of her life and scene. No, just And then after that, you know, after they've mm-hmm. made all their arrangements and whatnot, they decide to go um, basically casting for their play. It's then they go on the streets. They go, you know, they recruit people from inter- from other international territories. They um, go to academies and whatnot. So it, and then they, you know, go see people off the street. You know, it's kind of really, really cool how they keep, you know, mm-hmm. kind of 
building their like repertoire of of dancers and whatnot and also you know finding more and more dancers that are like so like sexually like submissive as well dancers on the street and dancers of color too like there's there's an asian dancer there's black dancers there's just dancers of all shapes and sizes, which I really appreciated. Like, did did you get did they show a lot of like dancers of color in Magic Mike X, XXL? Okay. And then, as of course we mentioned earlier, they're using this you know very very prestigious play, which I unfortunately don't remember the name of. Uh, but it's like an old like Victorian era play, and they're only using it like the structure loosely, and then building their show like out of that per se oh yeah yeah like a blueprint they're using it as a blueprint not throwing it away completely but but uh i don't know the play off the top of my hand uh, off the top of my head uh yeah it's i think kind of like going off of what you were saying before though is that uh i think the itch it's kind of mirroring soderbergh like even like the way that Summer Hayek is trying to recreate like this m- most important passionate night of her life is kind of like it- it's kind of mirroring Soderbergh in a way. The way like like when you see like a movie or when you experience something, you want to tell people, you want to tell people about it. Which is I- I'm assuming the reason why you have this podcast, where it's like I- the reason why I have a podcast too, just because it's like when I see like a movie or when I when I experience something. Like, I want to get on TikTok, I want to get on Twitter, I want to get on and record and, like, tell people, like, my experience. And that's Soderbergh as a filmmaker. So, like, that, like this is another way where it's kind of tying back to Soderbergh on, like, how he, uh, on how he just wants to show people his passions and, like, why he fell in love with, like, filmmaking. And, I don't know, it's just, I think that's just so crazy that he's able to, like, tie, like, go, go, like like a go-go dancer like movie into like his filmmaking career which is absolutely i i i'm just astonished every single time i i come up with another way to tie it back to filmmaking right and then on top of that you have this whole like class angle that's never been like a massive part of the magic mike movies like Mm -hmm. all of these movies are kind of like blue collar you know construction you know guys so and then on top of that so you see you know where the class structure is in london and the movie kind of uses that as its advantage of like you know you know like salma hayek you know is this like rich woman who basically does use uh you know uh mike lane to you know to for a dance but then under comes to understand that you know it's more than you know a strip it's more Mm -hmm. than you know some some simple fun it's a it's an art it's a dance and that's kind of like what you know is interesting about this one more is that you know there is a class structure and even more so the class structure is pushing against it because of those Mm -hmm. pre-norms that are um set up in this movie i think like it it shows like the the whole prejudice and classes uh part of london like with the whole like the husband trying to shut down like the 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 radican just because of it a male strip show is being performed like at his prestigious and 
historical theater, which, like, when it all comes down to it, a male stripper show or a go-go dancer show is basically the same as, like, a theatrical play because they're both performing. Like, that's, 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 really, that's really what I'm trying to say. And I'm like, I think that, like, I, I th- hopefully this shed, sheds light on, like, performers in general. Like, if you're, if you're per- performing anything at any kind, like, you're a performer. It's like that. You you see what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I do. It's just absolutely. I feel very much, you know, exactly like that. It's very, it, it it's very much like it is a. It, it that's what these movies are trying to do. They're trying to you know show the performance aspect of it, and also trying to show what goes into the work. And Magic Mike Last Dance is like trying to do that on a big scale uh in both like in the movie and like through the making of the movie they're mm-hmm. trying to show like what it all goes through and 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 that's like why like i love and that's kind of like why i do genuinely love the movie and even more so it pulls like the last minute acts it pulls the you know the 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 creator stays at the theater you know the the mike staying at the theater working you know day and night to choreograph and hiring a last minute ballerina to make the ending like pop Mm -hmm. and which first of all so i forgot to mention earlier like when the scene like when you know her husband is basically laying down the law like you can't embarrass me this way you can't like get you're getting a divorce you're getting a divorce settlement what more do you like that's what it really comes down to what i love about the scene is it starts with her in power and then the more like i just love like that zodeberg does this like whole like you know makes her small by the end like once the mm-hmm. ground so i love that and then we cut to the rain scene you know in where it's raining she's you know i, I have to quit the show or my daughter's fucked everyone's fucked um you're so the show's gonna not go on and i just love that kind of like quality of like you know and i just love like what it's what that that's the scene where like tatum finally gets the ending of the show like he finally understands like the ending of the show is gonna have to be me you know understanding max at this point like under like me showing max that i understand like the turmoil that she's going through having to can't having to go through this play. And I, I, what I love most about like that, that rain sequence that you're talking about is that I, I love that like this movie is about experiences and it's about recapturing like moments and Channing Tatum, like before, like that seed was having like, like Salma Hayek was going back and forth with him saying that like, Oh, this place sucks like just 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 quit now quit now while you're ahead because like i'm not i'm not getting anything from like from this performance it's because sama hayek was able to have like that 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 moment where she was trying to recreate like her moment in time like with him but channing tatum didn't have like didn't have that like that moment yet until the rain scene and that's when he gets inspired and like and says like this is a perfect way to end it because he had an experience that he wanted to show everyone and like like that's really like the whole like theme and like like 
the whole theme of like of Magic Mike Last Dance is like having like a moment in a moment in your life and sharing it with the rest of the world and seeing like and seeing like how you felt in like that moment. Absolutely. And that's what I love too, is that there is this idea of communication. There's this idea that, you know, he's using his art to communicate to her how much, you know, that not only this play means to, to him, but also like how much he, like how much she means to him in this moment. Because he's given her, or she's given him, excuse me, she's given him, what am I saying? My goodness. She's giving him (laughs) this, like, you know, this opportunity to basically break out and to use this platform to break out and be the magic mic that we all know. The, the, The talented, you know, dance choreographer, all that stuff. And... And the ending is him showing her, you know, his appreciation for her and respect and also, like, you know, his understanding of her. Like, she's a lonely person, you know, stuck with, you know, the hardest decisions. And here he is, you know, vulnerable, almost naked, you know, with you know with an almost naked ballerina like showing her you know how they're both vulnerable like he's mm-hmm. communicating to her the vulnerability they both have and that's i don't know there's just something really powerful about that scene yeah um, it's unbelievably powerful but like you mentioned like the like asama hayek's like adoptive daughter like right. in this movie, I, I feel like she, I wanted her to have more to do besides being the narrator. And at oh, yeah. this point, it's that's like the only thing in this movie that sucks to me is like, we don't really need her narration. This is not Blade Runner. Yeah, exactly. Like the narration felt off. And I felt like it was almost like Soderbergh just saying, oh, we need to give her something to do. So she's writing a novel. So let, let's just say that the that the daughter is writing a novel about her horned up like horned up mom <laughs> and like and like what she's going through and like how she's feeling things at this moment for like like men in general i, I don't know i like maybe that's like I, I just felt it just felt like disjointed like whenever there is narration i was just like it kind of pulled me out oh yeah it does not work at all and mm-hmm. i would prefer an edit where like they, it it's not in there so mm-hmm. and maybe one day you know Zoderberg will do it, but I don't I, I don't know yet. He'll George Lucas it, yeah. <laughs> but the good George Lucas way, you know. Yeah. It, um, trying to think of what else. Um, I do love at the end they both like Hayek admits that like because we did you did this we're both going to be broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do love the little joke at the end. Like he walks away like you know, you're broke by, and then just comes back in the end. Like it's, it's a good way. I wish there was a little bit more at the ending of this, like maybe they're back in Miami, you know, or something. Uh, but whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I felt like the, the joke of him walking away because she doesn't have money anymore. And the only thing it's like him saying, the only thing that was keeping them together was, the fact that 
he was going to get paid $60,000 and he never got it. And so she can't pay him. Uh, I like what Soderbergh is trying to say here by saying like money doesn't have to bring people together. It could be the attraction. It could be how much they love each other. Like money isn't everything. I just felt like having like a theme like that was a little, it was a little bit too on the nose where it's just like, it's like, Oh, I don't need, I don't need money. It's very, it's very cliche and on the nose because it's it's like oh I don't need money, uh I, like I love you so much kiss me kiss me I'm just you know what I mean it's just like it's very cheesy and kind of over the top but <laughs> yeah yeah it is and on top of that I mean it it's also just a good sign of just like you know it's a it's a way to tr- cap the trilogy because he's finally like outside of his like you know out of his out of his comfort zone he accomplishes the impossible and uh and accomplishes a dream like he actually gets to connect on an emotional level with someone and fall in love and mm-hmm. you know and there's and there's just something beautiful about that because mike has always had that problem even the first movie like he really doesn't ever really connect to alex's sister or to the mm-hmm. kid's sister uh on that way that he like he's like the ending of magic mike is you know him trying to connect with her like on an emotional level on an intimate level and she agrees to do it but it's not a like it's not something that you know can conclusively be like a happy relationship Mm -hmm. it just ends with him longing for the connection that he finally can he finally gets at the end of match of this movie of last dance mm-hmm. like because that's what he realized in the first movie he was missing which is you know the, the 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 emotional connection the partnership of it yeah i totally agree and i feel like he like it by the end of this movie he like all like like you mentioned like all of his relationships before like this movie it was very like it, it was like kind of like clinging to the fact that oh he's a go-go dancer he's hot I, like I'm, i can't believe i'm with i'm with like this man and like by the end of this movie sama hayek like she sees like that side of him but she also sees the artistry of him like crafting like these dance sequences and like to my knowledge i don't think mike really has really like experienced that in any of the other movies it's always just like oh he's he's just a stud but Sama Hayek sees him like, like more than that. He's he's an artist, and I feel like that's kind of like a perfect, like cl- uh, closing the book on Mike's character. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, it and it's more satisfaction because she's not a part of that world. Mm-hmm. Like she's not part of the stripping world, you know. Because like, it's one thing you know to get that satisfaction from your friends or the people that are in your industry. But to get that satisfaction from someone who isn't in the industry you're in, to see mm-hmm. that you are seen as an artist, as someone who is competent and you know a storyteller in your field, that is uh, that is a, like the true emotional connection. Yeah, and I I know for as an artist myself, and I'm sure you feel this same way. It's like like we all have podcasting friends or filmmaking friends that that like appreciate our work but like when someone that like doesn't follow you or just started following you appreciates you 
that's what that's like at least for me it's like when when a non-follower like likes like my post like that like it, there's a little like warmness like it's in my heart serotonin. yeah it's like it's like it's like oh you, you don't follow me but you like this and i'm like that's that makes me feel so good and like... absolutely oh yeah no absolutely when someone just randomly even if it's a bot yeah um, even if it's a bot but 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 it's preferred if it was a human being my my heart doesn't know it's a bot. It, it knows it's like an actual living, hu- living breathing human being. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, is there anything else we need to talk about for magic? My or can we go into like final thoughts? Um. Sh- sure. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, what are your? So yeah. What's your final thoughts on the trilogy? Um. Well, for someone that hasn't seen the the second one. I I love like these films and I it just makes me want to like go back and like experience them like again especially like with these with, with like the mindset that we ba- basically been speaking on for like about an hour about like the about these movies cuz like going in I wasn't really like like going into the first magic Mike, I wasn't thinking it was going to be like a complete allegory for filmmaking and being an artist and and now having like that like uh having these thoughts in like my mind I like I want to just rewatch this and just like dig and dig like on these movies like I want to I, I hope these mo- movies are studied like in like film history like later down the line because uh, I think that they're that good because it, it's uh, same here because I think Steven Soderbergh is a really good filmmaker mm-hmm. and he has a style that's very different than his um, his peers especially like I mean it his style is is a little similar to his friend Fincher, but mm-hmm. they do, but they come to the same conclusion in very different ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I to p- kind of piggyback on that, I think that Soderbergh has really grown as a filmmaker once he started, like when he's film when he filmed like his first film, like with his iPhone. He like I feel like he kind of opened up as a filmmaker because he stopped being like so. I don't like using this word, but like gatekeepy, like like it's like the fact that like anyone can can make a film, uh, like he wanted to like experience like all ways where you can make a film, and like he shot like High Flying Bird on like an iPhone like alone, and I th- I feel like he did like another forget there there's another film I can't remember the name of it, but I I, I don't know I feel like he like broadened as a filmmaker like once he started kind of like kind of breaking down the walls of like what a filmmaker actually is. Well, and also, I mean, Soderbergh has him and Fincher and Michael Mann and George Lucas and Robert Rodriguez. They were the guys using digital cameras before anyone else. Mm -hmm. So they were very much like the pioneers of like taking in and, and also during the time, like when magic Mike was made, Soderbergh wanted to use like red cameras and the Alexa, the area Alexa cameras to kind of, you know, to show like all these other filmmakers, both the, the old generation and the new guys coming in that no digital has a place. It has, so it has a place, you know, we can use it for this and that. So, and I feel like that's why like he did so many movies um during that time period is also just to kind of 
And also, like, it, digital cameras just kind of gave him the power to be like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to shoot Haywire. Even though it's a multi, you know, destination movie, we're going to shoot Haywire in, like, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have, because I want to show you guys, like, that we can do these kind of movies, like, these mid-range budget movies for cheap on digital cameras, make them look good, and they don't have to be, like, all Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. So, because that's really like what Zoderberg was trying to do, and I admire that so much. And then he continued that philosophy through the Nick, and <clears throat> and now you, you're right. Like, because I mean, when he came back with Logan Lucky, he shot that on red cameras as well. But mm-hmm. also, Unsane, I think, was also shot on. Wasn't that also shot on an iPhone, or was that a different yeah, camera? Uh- I'm saying thank you for say, saying that name because I just remember like when you said it, I'm like yeah that was shot on an iPhone. Okay, because yeah that was unsane then high flying bird and then I think he kind of went back a little bit on uh, his next couple projects, mm-hmm. uh, and then finally like I mean he's kind of back in the form but he's still you know like he's still an experimental filmmaker like Kimmy was shot on different like it was shot on GoPros it was shot on different different cameras it's not just like a red you know the new red camera yeah and i think i think kimmy was also shot like like in less than a year too oh yeah like that yeah well i mean that's kind it of was shot during thing. covid it was shot during covid right and that's also which is, yeah go ahead uh, which is why like kimmy was like most most of the shots were like all in that apartment which made sense and it's just like and and i think that's like Kimmy is like a perfect pandemic movie too. It's kind of like the like a pandemic movie that I want to see, not like the movie Sick that's actually about the pandemic. It's like this is like like we all like like when we're all locked like like in our homes like when that time uh, when that time was around, uh, we were all kind of like talking to like our Alexas and like and like and like uh, smart home speakers. And they have Steven Soderbergh kind of like write like a film kind of like around that was actually I, I don't know I th- that was one of my favorite movies of last year so like I I had to mention for the for the for this podcast absolutely no yeah. no absolutely and you know and that's and I'm genuinely interested in what he does next he doesn't have anything new on the docket yet mm-hmm. um, after this but I I am curious like how he continues and evolves as a filmmaker. Um, and I'm kind of glad he came back to this franchise because it. I do feel like magic. This, we do need more adult movies. Um, and by adult, I mean like just more like movies for adults. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's kind of silly that this movie did open on Valentine's Day, just because almost all of the Magic Mike movies are very much summer movies. Like they just yeah. feel like summer movies. Yeah, it it opened on Valentine's Day because the because the filmmakers know their audience because oh, it's like sure. whether whether it wants to be like Fifty Shades Fifty Shades of Grey or not, like this like people aren't going to see like this movie because they want to see chiseled bodies and like well, at least at least like the forty year old soccer moms that like yes. that that are that are basically kind of like a, a like like. Basically, Sama Hayek is kind of like the surrogate for, like, for those surrogate like character where for those people watching the movie, right? Like, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, trying to think of what else. I think, honestly, I think, I think we've covered everything. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think so too. But I just want—I know I've been saying Salma Hayek like a lot, like during this episode. But I just want to just express, like, I know I didn't like the way how Salma Hayek kind of like uprooted Mike from like this movie and just like transported him in London, but what she's doing here is absolutely incredible and she needs to be praised like a million times over. So like Sama Hayek, like I, I know she's in the Eternals, right? Yes. She's in Eternals. Yeah. She needs to be like in everything at this point, because some of those performances, like her performance in this are absolutely incredible. Like the, like the moment, like when the moment in this movie, when uh, her husband basically says that he's taking everything and the camera like zooms in zooms in on summer hike's face you can see like her life falling apart like in her eyes alone and i was just like i like i felt for her i felt for her but she's like i know channing tatum is probably going to get a lot of like the praise for for this but summer hike deserves equal if not more praise that's yeah, I mean, I agree. I she just and I agree absolutely. I mean, in because she really does play a woman who never really has had power in her own situation. She's always had to resort to other means. Um, and what Magic Mind or what the dance that did for her is it represented. Uh, what the dance represented for her was it represented this mo- this liberation that mm-hmm. she does like in this like question of like why does she have to choose why does she why does it have to be for money or for love like mm-hmm. you know why can't I just why can't I find someone who will do both you know right. that kind of thing that that's what's so interesting you know what and and in the end like she does in the movie still may like gives her a choice the movie still like makes her choose love in the end but it's the ultimate like you know it's bittersweet but you know she's going to be happier than she is in this you know rotten marriage exactly um but but yeah i just want i just wanted to praise sama hayek but uh i before before i have you wrap up uh, I just wanted to ask you, like, did you have like a favorite sequence from 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 this movie? Because I I, I have one in mind, but I'll I'll let you go. <laughs> oh, it's easily the finale, the rain scene. Mm-hmm. And, uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I like I like that scene too, but I gotta give props to that bus sequence where they're where they're, when they're trying to get like approval to stay to keep the theater like open, like. The way the way that the, when the lady walks onto the bus and like sees like all like all of like the the models like sitting on the bus and like the way that that scene is shot and just synced up and the and just to see her like her face like lighten up as she like is experienced this moment the same moment as that Selma Hayek experienced it, it like it's really well choreographed but I just like that. I, I, I just like that moment for sure, just because it's well choreographed and you kind of see like the light in her eyes, like seeing exactly what Selma Hayek's character saw. Exactly. It's, it is a, 
yeah, that's an absolutely good scene. Um, and and it is a really good. It's almost like a little heisty as well, because mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to get the approval, and it is very mm-hmm. well done. Uh, I just, I to me, the rain scene is just more of like it's just the emotional climax of mm-hmm. not only this movie, but it's the emotional climax of all three movies. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> it, it's just that's that's and it's done so well, so that's why I chose it. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, and if you want to do other dance sequences, I mean, the the, the scene with uh, Big Dick Richie, you know, in the gas station of Magic Mike XXL, is like an all it's an all time banker. I, I I need to go rewatch that. I I need to watch oh, that like incredible. after we're done. It's. <laughs> It's... Because I, I I think that's I, I got so disappointed when I knew Matt Soderbergh wasn't re- like directing. I didn't see his name attached, so I was just like, I'm not gonna watch this because this is just like a, it this is just a cheap cash in. Uh, this is just a cash in movie just because they're trying to cash in on the soccer moms that are like still horned up from the like the oh, last come movie. Come on, Marley. <laughs> I know come I'm on. being I'm being like I'm. Uh, I, I shouldn't have had that mindset, but now I'm going in with like, like this movie's great. So. Oh yeah, it, it's 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 really good. It's good. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. trying to think. Yeah, I'm honestly, it's really good. Uh, the soundtrack for this film is incredible. I really, I need to find the iTunes or Spotify list for it. So, because the soundtrack is really like incredible. Um, mm-hmm. other than that, um. Honestly, Mar- Marley, unless you got something else to say, I'm I'm good. Yeah, I, like everyone should go see or and watch like all three of these movies. Uh, Magic Mike is, uh, I I said in my Letterboxd review a very a, a very unusual and uh, like a very unusual and uh, I don't want to say unnecessary. I forget the words that I, uh, um, um, yeah, uh, it's. Go ahead. It's 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 a very unusual sequ- uh, trilogy. That's what that, that's all I'll say. <laughs> oh yeah, like in in a way, it shouldn't have happened because like it because there's no like big superhero like Magic Mike's not like you know not like gonna save the world. It's more uh, it's just a franchise of people bonding over intimacy and eroticism, mm-hmm. and and but also like what. You know, but also a parallel meta meta verse to the uh, meta reality to actual filmmaking and actual like what it, it means to be talent and all that. So no, it, it it's a great trilogy for adults, is what mm-hmm. I is what I say. Exactly, exactly. Um, other than that, um, Marley, uh, if it's okay. Uh, where can the good people find you, and do you have anything to promote? Um, people could find me online tweeting or posting about movies at Marley Loves Film, and uh, you can listen to my podcast as well. It's called The Real Lovers Podcast. Uh, I'm currently watching every single movie in the Letterbox Top 250 uh, like list, and uh, I'm currently like. Like I'm not that far in, but I'm and pretty much enjoying every single movie I like on that list so far. So if you if you if you like if you like that, be sure to check check out the podcast. Awesome. Uh, 
thank you. And again, the links for that will be in the description below. Uh, and Marley, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and starting in a couple weeks, uh, on March, what did we say, 6th or 7th? Uh, we are starting, Marley and I are starting a run-up to, run-up series uh, for the Fast and Furious franchise. We are going to be reviewing in, in subsequent order uh, each of the Fast and Furious films. So we will start uh, on March 7th with the Fast and Furious, Fast and the Furious, excuse me. And then uh, the 14th, we will do, the 14th, we'll have the Too Fast, Too Furious, 21st, Tokyo Drift, and then so on, so on. And this is all going to lead up to uh, the eventual Fast X episode. So, uh, Marley, uh, thank you so much for being here uh, to discuss Magic Mike. And also, thank you for also create, uh, agreeing to watch 10, uh, 10 movies with me uh, for the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, uh, Fast and Furious is a very, like, I have a very special place in my heart for fast and furious movies so anytime that someone asks me like to review them i will happily jump on so thank you for allowing me to uh no problem i'm i'm just as excited and eager to do i'm excited and eager to do this uh 10 episode uh series i can't wait uh and also we we can't wait for fast x um so yeah so the uh, rev those engines, get those engines warmed up, rev them up for, for absolutely for the for, right absolutely rev up those engines, start your what I don't even know I'm too tired anyway yeah <laughs> uh, anyway uh, thank you all for listening uh, we'll be back with you uh, very very soon because uh, I think because uh, tomorrow we're or at least in the next couple of days. We're going to have our review of uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the new Marvel Studios film. Thank you, guys. Uh, we will see you in a, at least a couple more, in another day or two. Thank you. So what's this show about? It's the same old, will she marry for love or money? So what does she pick? Love or money? The real question is, why does she feel like she has to choose? It sounds to me that she just needs to let go. And some good. Maybe that as well. You're not shutting me down. Not this time. You're so good at this. You're not going to just let us give up on it. I want every woman that walks into this theater to feel that a woman can have whatever she wants, whenever she wants. You were a cop, right? Did you arrest her? What's your name? Kim? Let you off with a warning, right? <laughs>